Lord, this morning, as we come to your word, we just remember what it tells us in Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, as we spend this time in your word, we pray that you would cause faith to rise in our hearts. Lord, as we hear the promises of God and the truth of God, we pray that we would be like Abraham and believe you, Lord. And so may your spirit unfold these things to our hearts and minds this morning. Jesus, we ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might understand what we read today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so Galatians 3. Uh, if you're visiting with us, watching online with us, and you haven't been with us, you, you, you're jumping in part way. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. This, this letter is written to a group of churches in a number of cities in what today is southern Turkey. Okay, so in the first century, it was the the province of Galatia, the Roman province of Galatia. And Paul had gone on a missionary journey throughout these cities in southern Turkey, and he had preached the good news of the gospel. He had preached the message of Christ crucified to the people in those cities, and many people had put their faith in Christ Jesus, had gotten saved, and a church had been born and established and uh, after a time, what happened was that people began to infiltrate the church and they infiltrated the churches and they said this about what Paul had preached and what Paul had taught. They said, you know, what, what Paul preached to you was good, but it wasn't totally a complete full message. The people said this, they said, if you're going to follow Jesus, you also, after putting your faith in Jesus, you need to add something to that faith. You need to add some rules. You need to add some regulations. And these rules and regulations are going to show that you're serious. Like if you're really serious about following Jesus, then you should add this and this and this to your faith. And these rules and these regulations, the law of Moses is just going to kind of polish you up, so to speak. It'll finish off your faith. It'll complete it. It'll add that finishing touch. And so what we've seen is this, is Paul's been saying this, that's actually not the gospel. That's not the message of good news through Jesus Christ. The, the good news declares to us that through Jesus, there is a way to have uh, access to God, and it's by this, by faith. It's by faith, trusting in Jesus. You know, when you think about ways that people try to access God, there's really two primary ways, and I'm going to refer to them quite a bit this morning. I'm calling them this today, trying or trusting. You can try in your own efforts or you can trust in the work of Jesus. And I would tell you trying is what religion is always about. It doesn't matter what religion you want to pull up and speak of. Trying is what religion is all about. Religion says you have to be good. You have to follow these rules. You have to practice these things. And you're left to try. You're left with a wish and a prayer, so to speak. And, and you try and polish yourself off and finish yourself off to be pleasing to God. But what the gospel declares is that there's another way that doesn't involve trying. It's trusting. It's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And trusting in Jesus doesn't involve trying. It's a relationship of faith where you put your, the trust of your life into the hands of the Lord Jesus. You trust him with your future. You trust him with your life and you confess that he is Lord and you trust. So you got trying 
and you've got trusting. And you really can't compare these these two things because they stand in opposition to one another. They contrast one another. It's juxtaposition to one another. And Paul had come to Galatia and he had preached this message, trusting, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then these false teachers had infiltrated the church and they preached this blended message. No, it's, it's trying and trusting. You've got to blend these two things together. Yes, you trust, but then you, you try and you finish it off. But that's not the gospel, Paul says. The gospel is not trusting and trying. The gospel is just simply trusting. It is a relationship of faith alone in Christ alone. Maybe you've sat in a church for a long time and you're even surprised to hear that. No, no, aren't I supposed to try? No, actually, you're not. And I hope that'll be clear for us this morning. I thought the gospel was trusting and trying, you might say. And I'd say, no, those things are like oil and water. They just don't go together. They won't mix. And when you try to mix them, it makes a mess of the whole thing. There is no try in the gospel. There is no try in the gospel. The gospel is a message of trust. Now, this is not a minor thing. And you might think, well, does it really matter? I mean, try, trust. Look at it, it's not a minor thing. This is a big deal. Paul has already answered this, and he said this, that if you preach a message that blends trying and trusting, you're preaching another gospel. You're not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Paul said this, and if that's the message that those false teachers preach, I I look forward to saying this. He said, you could go to hell. That's what he said to them. You know, it's not very often the pastor just says that. You can go to hell. Well, that's what Paul said. That's what he said. He said, let them be accursed if that's the message they preach. The word he used in Greek is anathema, which means accursed, Uh, separated from God. And so in this discussion, Paul, as he's been talking about this, has personally defended himself. He's defended his own personal experience with the gospel, the gospel of grace. And now uh, in this text this morning, he turns the discussion towards the Galatians' experience with the gospel. These people in these churches, What's their experience with the gospel and what does the Bible have to say? So there's two things we're going to talk about this morning. This will come up on your screen for you. Paul's going to talk about the personal experience of the Galatians with grace. And he's going to talk about this. and, And the reality of this is it's subjective. You know, it's like every one of us has our own personal experience with the grace of God, our own testimony, we say. The story of how we heard the gospel and what the Lord Jesus did to change us and transform us. And many of those things are subjective, but, but it's based on some foundational truths. And then Paul is going to turn the conversation to what the Bible says about grace. And he's going to speak of objective things, things that are not based on personal feelings or opinions, but things that are based on the facts and the truths of God's word. And so in this text this morning, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 14, Paul does this. He asks, this is going to come on the screen. I, I, I wrote this in my, the margin of my own Bible there. I'll get you to flip to the next slide just to help myself when I come back and read this next time. And I'd encourage you maybe to do it for yourself. But Paul does this. In the first six verses, he asks six questions 
just to delve into the subjective experience of the Galatians. And then in verses 7 through 14, he, he quotes six Old Testament passages as he brings forth the truth and the reality of the gospel message. So mark that in the margins of your Bible. Six questions, subjective, verses 1 through 6, and six Old Testament passages, objective, verses 7 through 14. So let's see what he says here on the subjective level. Verse 11, or verse 1, sorry. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as Christ. Now, I personally, can I tell a personal story this morning? I love this verse. I love this verse a lot because this verse is very significant in my own personal subjective experience with the Lord Jesus. Because when I was a, a younger guy in my early 20s, Thinking about this, that's going back a ways now because it was 1997. I know where I was. I know approximately the time of day and I know what happened to me on that day. And I'll tell you what it was. I was having my quiet time. I was reading daily in the Bible like I love to do. And I read this pas passage, Galatians 3.1. I was reading Galatians and I read verse 1 and it struck me. I couldn't get any further actually. It caused me to pause and I thought to myself, wow, this is actually really strong language. Like if you pay attention to what Paul is saying here, this is really strong. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. It's like, here's my translation. You idiots, what's going on with you? You know, I'm sure you've never been called an idiot, but I have uh, more than once. And what's going on here, Paul says, is serious. So much so that he says this, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? And when I read that, when I was 21 years old, that stopped me in my tracks. I thought, that's a really strong thing to say about a Christian. To say about someone who's trusted Jesus. To suggest that these people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus have somehow come under a spell. That they've been charmed. And I thought to myself, that's crazy here. It's like Paul is saying a Christian has succumbed to some sort of witchcraft, so to speak. And all those years ago when I read this, and I stopped and I was thinking this through, all of a sudden, you guys, from heaven, I had a revelation of grace. I had a grace awakening. You know, I was thinking about it. I was in Bible college. I'd grown up in the church. I was actually interning at a church. But in that moment, I had a revelation of grace that changed my life because up until that time, my relationship with Jesus had been this blending mix of trying and trusting, trying and trusting, trust in Jesus, but, but try hard. And it's kind of like this. I would describe it this way. It's like learning you don't need a babysitter anymore. <laughs> Remember those days when you were a kid, you know, mom and dad would make their plans and you needed a babysitter. So they'd be going out for the evening and they would hire someone, you know, maybe someone that lived on the street, someone in the neighborhood, some young person from the church and they would have them come over and they would look after you because you weren't old enough, you weren't mature enough to look after yourself, you might burn the house down. And so the babysitter came, but then the day came, do you remember that day in your youth when mom and dad decided you're old enough, 
mature enough to be on your own. Probably not going to burn the house down. You know, something might go right. You might not go to bed on time, but you won't burn the house down. You don't need a babysitter any longer. And that's what grace says to us. The law was a guardian. It was a babysitter, but now we've put our faith in Christ Jesus. It's not trying. The relationship with Jesus is not about trying. It's not about your efforts. It's about trusting. And that sense of trusting comes from from learning by revelation of the Spirit through the Word of God. And so Paul asked these churches, these individual believers, who has bewitched you? Christ was clearly preached to you. I came to your city and I preached Jesus. I preached the crucified Jesus. I taught you that the Lord Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. He had to die in your place as a substitute to ransom you from sin's power and sin's presence and sin's consequence. And that message of Jesus' death, there's, there's no there's no addition of try attached to it. The message of Jesus' death is a message of trust. Your sins weren't forgiven because of your own efforts. This is what Paul is driving forward to these people. They were forgiven because you put your trust in Christ, because of Christ's work. And so Paul takes the Galatians right back to the beginning of their relationship with Jesus And he says, I taught you that on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. I taught you that on the cross or because of the work of the cross, there is nothing to be added on your part. There's no trying. Salvation is just to be received. It's to be a relationship of trust, of faith. And you know, if you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, he says to them, then it's like you've been hypnotized. You've been bewitched. There is a spell over you, and the spell will be broken by looking unto Jesus once again. Look at verse 2. He says this, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Remember when you put your trust in Christ Jesus? What happened? The Holy Spirit came and indwelt your life. The Spirit took up residence. The Spirit, who is the deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And the Holy Spirit, when the gospel was preached to you, the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. The Holy Spirit convicted you of righteousness and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit pointed you to Jesus. When you trusted Christ, the Spirit filled you. And when you trusted Christ and you look to Jesus, he baptizes you. The Spirit empowers you to be bold and to to live for Jesus. And he lives inside of you and you're called to walk in the Spirit, to live the Spirit-filled life. And so Paul's point is this to them. When you received the Spirit, was it by trying or by trusting? And they were reminded, we didn't do anything. We never did anything. You received the Spirit when you heard the word of the gospel and you placed your faith in Christ. You received the Spirit. Look at verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer many, so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? So this question is asked to them, you've begun in the Spirit. Are you now perfecting yourself in the flesh? Paul calls these efforts of trying the works of the flesh. That's what he calls them. It's not the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the flesh. And he says, you began by trusting. You began by trusting. Are you now trying to add to the message of the gospel by your own trying? Are you trying to perfect the work of the Spirit? No, you know what the the Word of God tells us? That Jesus with a single offering, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Paul says, you began in the Spirit. It reminds me of that interaction that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was talking to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, a Pharisee. And he was speaking to Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus about the need for a man to be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant to be born again. And so he asked, teacher, what what does this mean? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb and, you know, go through the process of birth again? And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Then Jesus said this. It's on the screen. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I think about this, and I think, you know, here we are. Look, it's just beautiful out there. Take a peek at the ocean for a minute. See the effects of the wind on the water. When you place your trust in Christ, it's almost like going sailing. Actually, I would tell you it's a lot like going sailing. Have you ever gone? I haven't spent much time on a sailboat. But when you go on a sailboat, you you put up the sails and you let the wind be the source of your power. For the believer, for those who have put their faith in Christ, the Spirit is the source of the power of your life. And the work of the Spirit is like the wind, Jesus says. You don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going, but you trust. You trust. You put up the sails, and you let the wind blow, and it empowers you. It's a relationship of trust. But when you try, trying isn't like sailing. It's not like sailing at all. I would say it's like rowing, you know. It's like getting in the kayak, which I know you probably love to do, or in the canoe, which I love to do, or in a rowboat, or I picture in my mind a Roman warship powered by the oars of slaves below deck who are keeping time as they row those oars under the beat of that drummer setting the pace. The oars, the rowing, the paddling is all about effort. It's all about human effort and human strength. And living a life like that spiritually is exhausting. Imagine even 
being on a sailboat and being driven by the wind and your boat is powered by the wind, the wind is taking you along. And I would, I just picture this, that it would be foolish while the wind is driving you to all of a sudden pull out your paddle or your oar and say, I'm going to add my strength to this. It's like you're just wasting your energy and wasting your effort. No, when you're empowered by the Spirit, just enjoy the ride and let the Spirit lead. Row the boat. Look at what he says in verse 3 again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That would be insanity. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If it was in vain, does, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Remember when you put your trust in Christ? You received salvation and the Spirit came into you. You know, something that I bet happened to you in some sort of way was this. You experienced miracles. Your character was changed. You had different desires. You had victory over sin. Maybe you actually had some sort of physical uh, healing or something like that. I, I was thinking about this. I thought, boy, it would be awesome this morning to just go around the room. Maybe we'll do this tonight at prayer. So I encourage you to come. I wish we could go around the room and just share testimonies and say, you know what? This is actually what happened to me when I received Jesus. I put my faith in him. I received the spirit. This happened and this happened and this happened. And Paul's point is this, those miracles, that didn't happen because of your trying. It happened because you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that, you know, just different things that have happened in my life over the years. I, 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 one thing that's really significant is that God healed my hearing. I, I didn't do anything. I was at History Maker Youth Conference. I mean, some of you have been to the, how many of you have been to History Maker over the years? I mean, uh, lots of you have gone as leaders or youth. I went as a, as a youth and as a leader. And uh, I went one year as a leader and I was having a lot of problems in there because it's such a loud environment and I had damaged my ears in the workplace by not wearing ear protection. And so I was just like, my ears were aching in the, in the noise of that loud environment. And let me tell you, the worship at History Maker is loud, man. It's a youth conference. It's like, you can't hear yourself speaking. And, uh, and so I was there and I, went, I wanted to worship. I wanted to sing, but my ears were hurting. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is brutal. You know, I'm in there. And, and I wanted to participate. And so in my heart, I just told the Lord, oh Lord, my ears just hurt. I'm just going to worship anyways. And so I just went on worshiping. And later that night, I was up at the altar and I was praying with some of our youth kids. And the worship band got up and got going again. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was leaning against the stack, the tower of speakers. My back was against it as I was with kids and my ears weren't hurting. Uh, and I thought, man, what did I do, Lord? I didn't do anything. You did it. You think about your own life and miracles that God has done for you. Times maybe as a parent, you prayed for your kids. What did you do? They were sick. You just trusted the Lord and you prayed and he touched them. Or you had a financial need. You said, Lord, we need your help. You, you trusted the Lord and, or a provision for work. Or how about in some area of sin, just one day there was a new sense of victory and it was a miracle because you had battled that thing or that issue for years and years and years and just one day, 
It was done. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness for the sake of Christ then. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The picture and the call of Galatians chapter 3 is this. Trust and put the sails up. Because God's work in us is not by our efforts, not by our ability to obey the law of God, but by hearing the word of faith. Again, as it says in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. You know, the false teachers, those who had infiltrated the Galatian churches, they love to point to the biblical character Moses because Moses was the man to whom the law of God was given. He received the law and he communicated the law of God to the people, the Ten Commandments and all the laws that came with it. And and so these teachers of the laws, they said, you've got to add trying to your trust and we'll make this blended trust and trying. They pointed to Abraham and said, obey the laws of Moses. And so Paul takes them, not to Moses, but he takes them to the man who existed hundreds of years before Moses ever came, the man Abraham. And Abraham was a man, the word of God tells us, who believed God and he was counted as righteous. He trusted. He put the sails up. You know, Abraham was living in the area of the Chaldeans, kind of like uh, ancient Babylon, and God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, leave your father's house. Leave your city. And I want you to come to the land where I will lead you. So he put the sail up and he went He left a culture where in his house, in that ancient culture, he had central heat. That's what archaeology tells us. Not only central heat, he had running water in his washrooms, okay? And he left that to go live in a tent for the rest of his life, to travel to the land where God would lead him. And at various times in Abraham's life, when you read his story in, in the book of Genesis, there's different times where he would pick up the oars again, so to speak, And he'd try in his own effort. He'd try to row the boat in his own strength. And then the Lord would lead him away from trying and remind him, Abraham, this is a relationship of trust. This is a relationship of faith. One night, Genesis chapter 15 tells us that he was standing outside of his tent and he was looking up at the stars and God spoke to him. He said, Abraham, can you count those stars? He said, no, Lord. Then the Lord said to him, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. I will make you a great nation and your offspring are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and you will be blessed and I will make you a blessing to all nations. The crazy thing is, Abraham didn't have any children. He was old. His wife was old. She was beyond child rearing. But Abraham looked up at those stars and he said, God, I believe you. I believe your word. And the word of God tells us that it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted as righteous. That's a a banking term. He, He had righteousness accredited to his spiritual 
bank account in and of himself, his own trying. In his trying, he was a bankrupt man. Try, try, try as hard as he might. He was bankrupt. But when he put his faith in the word of God and that which was declared to him, the riches of heaven were accounted to him. And church, that's our position. Spiritually, we were bankrupt before Christ we were rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere. The line of credit kept growing. We're straining at the oar, straining against the tide. We were spiritually bankrupt. And then we heard the word of faith, the message of the cross. And we trusted. Like Abraham, we looked and we believed. We looked unto Christ. That's actually the idea of this first verse here. In Galatians 3.1, Paul says, Galatians, oh Galatians church, Galatian church, Christ was publicly portrayed to you as crucified. See, Paul came into that city and he preached God's word. He lifted up Christ. He preached Christ crucified and the Galatians set their eyes on Christ and their ears hear, heard the word of faith. And when Christ was preached and declared, the picture became clear. They saw that Jesus was the sacrifice for men's sins. And that in him there was forgiveness and there was grace. And they set their eyes on Jesus and they trusted and they were counted righteous like Abraham. Just like Abraham was looking at those stars and trusted God's promise to him, we looked to Christ and we believed God. You know, the subjective experiences of our own testimonies are really different. If we went around the room and we just told our stories of backgrounds, this is where I came from, I, I grew up in church, I, I'd never been to church, I, I had families that were believer, believers, I, I didn't know anything, I'd read the Bible, I hadn't read the Bible. Our experiences are all very different, but the reality that we share that is the same is that we did nothing and Christ did everything. That's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. So stop the trying and trust. So Paul asked the subjective, experiential questions. They're rhetorical. And then he turns the Galatians to the objective realities of God's word. And what scripture declares. And this is important because, you know, lots of times we say, where does the word of God fit with my personal experiences? Do I take my experiences and then judge the word of God? Or does the word of God judge my experiences? And I would say to you this, we never judge scripture by our subjective experiences. We judge our experiences by the objective word of God. And so in verse 7, Paul says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You guys, this is incredible because Paul tells us that the gospel was preached to Abraham. <laughs> we get this wrong sometimes. We, we think, well, how, what about Old Testament saints? We were having this discussion in my house not long ago. What about Old Testament saints? Look at Old Testament saints were saved the same way that you're saved, by faith. 
They were looking forward to the coming of Christ. They were looking forward to the cross. And we, we look back to the cross. We look backwards, they look forward. But the same salvation is for both. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we discover here is that the gospel was preached to Abraham. And this is a brilliant stroke against those who had infiltrated the churches, the legalists, the false teachers, because Paul says this, no, 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 not law, not trying, faith and trust came first. Abraham was righteous by faith and it wasn't until much later that the law came through Moses. See, those who preached a message of that blended message of trusting and trying, they preached that, that you trust Jesus, you trust Jesus, but then with all your efforts and your trying, you add the laws of Moses. You add the law, but Abraham never had the law. He lived 400 years before the law ever came. He never had the law. All he ever had was the promise, and he trusted. And it's those who come to God in faith that are children of Abraham, Paul says. You know, when you think of children of Abraham, the Jewish people are very proud of their relationship with Abraham, that they're Abraham's descendants. They thought that being a descendant of Abraham automatically made them an heir of salvation. John the Baptist came on the scene and he, he warned them, physical descent from Abraham is, is not the guarantee that you'll have spiritual life. You have to have your own relationship with God. Even today in the church, some, some teach wrongly that God has ch- grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. Each individual has to put their own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture foresaw that from the very beginning, God's relationship with Abraham, the message of faith would be for all people, all people. Abraham's promise that he was given from the Lord was that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky and he would be a blessing to all nations. And like Abraham, justification would be by faith and not by law keeping, not by rules, not by religion, not by trying. So so teaching that God's people could, you know, add trying to their trusting that they could pull out the oar while they're on the sailboat and add their rowing to the power of the wind is going backwards, Paul says. Because it's just faith that brings God's blessing. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident That no one is justified before God by law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. See, we know this, that salvation could not come, cannot come by obedience to laws. Because law doesn't bring a blessing. He says this, law brings a curse into your life. It brings a curse because the law demands that you perfectly obey. The law is not a game of choice. You know, it's not a smorgasbord where you get to go up and say, well, I like this law. That's how I drive, you know. I kind of like this law. I kind of don't like this law. So I'll speed here when I feel like it and I won't speed over here and I'll get really mad at the guy who's passing me or driving too slow in front of me. The law demands perfect obedience. It's not a game of choice. 
where you follow some and ignore others that you don't like. The law demands all or nothing. Obedience in all things. Therefore, if I break the law of God at a single point, I'm deemed a lawbreaker and I'm under the curse of the law. That's what Paul says here to us. He says, cursed is the one who doesn't abide by all things and do them. All things that are in the law. So on the basis of the law, my, my rowing, so to speak, my, my trying, I'll never be right before God. I'll never be justified before God. But there's another way. The righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from the prophet Habakkuk. It's in verse 11 there. If, if you've got your Bible, you should underline that. Verse 11. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk, the Lord gave him that word. He had been prophesying to the children of Israel and he'd been prophesying about the trials and the troubles that were coming them over their captivity. They were going to be taken as captives to Babylon. And, and Habakkuk, when he prophesied these things to the Lord, he just began to complain to the Lord. Lord, how could you do this? We're people that live by the law. We're trying to obey you, Lord. Yeah, maybe we're not perfect, but we're trying. And the Lord said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, it's not trying. The righteous shall live by faith. It's trusting. And that is a statement that's so important. It's so important, church, that the Lord gave three New Testament books to explain that one simple phrase. The righteous shall live by faith. You've got the book of Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews, and this is the foundational statement that undergirds all three of those books. One sentence from the Old Testament. You think your Bible that you can exhaust it? One sentence from the Old Testament was turned into three books from the New Testament. Don't stop reading your Bible. God's got lots of things he wants to teach you. And so the just shall live by faith. It's amazing. The book of Romans tells us about justification, the just. The book of Galatians tells us about living, putting the sail up, so to speak, trusting. The book of Hebrews tells us what it is to live by faith. These three books, just to explain this simple, not simple statement, the just shall live by faith. See, the law is about doing. That's the thing that I've been talking about here this morning. That's the thing that Paul's talking about, trusting or trying. And the law is about trying. Try, 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 do your best, do your best, but it's not going to be good enough because the law demands that you do it all, that you do it all. Do and live, the law says. But faith says, believe and live. And these legalists had infiltrated the Galatian churches. They wanted a blend of trust and trying. And Paul just wanted people to enjoy the Lord. To enjoy his freedom. To enjoy a relationship of love and faith with Christ Jesus. And so he says, you guys, let's not go back to the straining at the oars. Just learn to enjoy the power of the wind. Verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, the law 
puts sinners under a curse. It chains them like a slave to the ore. But Christ has redeemed us, Paul says, from the curse by becoming a curse for us. That's the message of the gospel, that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. You couldn't. I couldn't. He perfectly obeyed, and then he perfectly, in obedience to the Father, went to the cross. There was no curse upon him, but he bore our curse. He went there on our behalf to redeem us from the curse so that we might become children of Abraham. If you want to know the blessing that Abraham experienced, it's really simple. It comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need to go back to the law. And Paul actually quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, this is one of the quotes. I'm not pointing them all out to you. Go home and read it for yourself. You'll see there's six quotes there from the Old Testament. But one of them that he quotes is from Deuteronomy. He says this, Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. See, the Jews did not, Jesus was hung on a tree. The Jews did not practice crucifixion. Their, their method of capital punishment was to, to stone someone to death. And when they were, you know, when that person had done something particularly egregious, they would take their body after they had been stoned, they would take that lifeless body and they would hang it on a tree as a public witness. It's for everyone to see. And that was a particularly shameful thing for Jewish people because in that culture, the, the, the treatment and the handling of a dead body is really important uh, because they believed in the resurrection. They believed that, that we'll be raised from the dead. And so to hang a body on a tree was dishonorable. It was a disgrace to that person. It wasn't done lightly. And Paul is pointing to something here. He says this, Jesus was hung on a tree. Jesus was nailed to a cross on which he died. His dead body was exposed. It was humiliation. It was disgrace in the eyes of all who saw it, Jews and Gentiles. They were putting Jesus to shame by hanging him on the cross. But they didn't know this, that Jesus on that cross was offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. They didn't know this. He was making atonement. They thought they were shaming him and they didn't know this, that he was bearing our shame. He was bearing our disgrace. He was taking the curse for us. And he did so that, we, so that we might know the blessing that Abraham knew. So that we might know the gift of the Spirit by faith. By trusting. Not by trying. By trusting. And trust is not a blended concoction of trust and trying. It's just this. The righteous shall live by faith. In verse 13, Paul uses the word redeemed which carries the idea of a, a slave being purchased. Except it's, it's this idea, not that the, that the slave is purchased for the purpose of further enslavement. The slave has been purchased with the intention that they would be set free from slavery. And those teachers who had infiltrated the Galatian churches wanted to lead God's people back into slavery. It's almost like I was thinking it's like being shackled to an oar in a boat, you know? Shackled on the right side of the boat, getting unshackled, and then having the teachers of the law shackle you in on the left side of the boat. 
When Jesus breaks the shackles, the oars church are to be replaced with a sail. Why would you want to go back to the oars? The old man, the flesh, the human nature loves religion. It's the default position of the human heart. Just try harder, man. Just try harder and make yourself pleasing to God. Measure yourself against other people. Measure yourself against your brothers and sisters. Measure yourself and prove yourself to be more spiritual than others. And I'll tell you, that's not freedom. That's a curse. It's to go back to the curse. Our measurement is Christ. That's who we measure ourselves against. And the word of God declares to us that we fall short of the glory of God. And so Christ, on our behalf, bears the curse. On the cross, Jesus died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, demonstrating his victory, and he invites us into a relationship of trust. The righteous shall live by faith. You put the sails up, and the wind of the Spirit comes. It's a life of miracles. It's a life where Christ sets you free. It's a life where Jesus changes your nature. It's a life where Jesus takes you spiritually where you never dreamed you would ever go. Is it easy? No, but I picture it like this. It's a high seas adventure. It's top deck. It's top deck in the wind instead of below deck on the oar. The righteous shall live by faith.